Howdy. Welcome to another week of Canon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee, and this week might be one of my favorite episodes that I've done so far here. I had Rob Sense on from MZ. Rob is the chief innovation officer at MZ, where he leads in furthering MZ's vision and research around labor market data and analytics for higher education, economic development, workforce development, and talent acquisition. I had Rob on to discuss a recent study that MZ did called the Demographic Drought. If you want to see that study in its entirety, you can go to economicmodeling.com. Also, Canon will be inserting that study into every order in the month of June, which we're very excited about. What we talked about from that study was sort of as we emerge out of the COVID-19 pandemic, another slower moving cataclysm is on the horizon. The United States is on the brink of a sandemic, a lack of people that will soon impact every business, college, and region. So without further ado, meet Rob Sins. Now welcoming on special guest, Rob Sense from MZ. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now there are like, I feel like very cool claims to fame. I was, I recently had a conversation with Walter Kern and I said, how did you get familiar with the whole Moscow project? And he said, do you know Rob Sense? <laughs> I think he sent me a book uh-huh. and that's how I first heard about. That's pretty funny. Is that true? Did you send him a book? Uh, we we started, you know, we became sort of Twitter repliers. Yeah, and uh, I can't even remember what it was, but I, I think I did share something with him, and he, yeah, you know, he interacted with that a little bit. He was like, "Is there a book called like Notes from the something?" He was like, "Who who, who wrote that one?" Mm -hmm. I was like, "Oh, I think that was Nate." Yeah, he's like, "I think he sent me that." Yeah, yeah, awesome. He's, he's great. Awesome. Well, look at it now. Now he's like out here. That's fun. And. Uh, do you see him when he comes out? Do you see You know, I I think the times he's come out, I have been out of town. Crazy. Yeah. That's and I think I've been invited and yeah, two or three times I've just been bad luck. here or something. That's bad luck. Well, he still names you as as yeah. the uh, That's fun. fundamental well, it's, mover. It's fun to have a, uh, I love the Montana, Idaho connection, yeah, right? Like totally. We're, we're kindred spirits in that way and we hope that keeps growing. Well, there you go. So a legend uh, in your own right. Can you tell us about yourself? Sure. Have you always been in Moscow? No. No, okay. I am uh, I grew up in Maryland. I, okay. I very much an East Coaster, all family back there. A lot of them still think I'm a little crazy for becoming yeah, a yeah. Westerner. Yeah. Grew up in Annapolis, Maryland. Until 2020, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I moved out 20 years ago. Okay. I'm a little over that and never thought I would. I still wake up some days and go, well, I, I live in Idaho. You know, yeah. I still have that feeling, even though I've been here for... Um, half my life. Did you do NSA? No, I did grad school at UVI. Okay. Yeah, I studied water and bugs. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so you you came out for the U of I? No, I actually, I came out for the community. Okay, all right. Yeah, I didn't want to go somewhere where I was totally blind. So my story is I grew up in Annapolis. Yeah. My dad became a Christian through Young Life. Okay. So, you know, back in the, the 60s and 70s, that thing really grew. Yeah. And out west, it was more like the Jesus People movement. But in the east, it was Young Life. And, and all those people migrated to PCA churches. So the county okay. I grew up in, okay. Anne Arundel County, had like 10 to 15 PCA churches okay. um, spread throughout the county. And our family kind of moved around in them. 
Um, and my, so my dad was a big young life guy and literally knew everybody in this county of like a million people, like all the, yep. all the young life people, yep. it was pretty big. And so grew up in the Presbyterian church, but I didn't really know what that meant because yeah. it was just people who were like, oh, this is where we go to church. Sure. And, um, it wasn't in really until college that I started to sort of, you know, question what that was. And I saw a lot of people I grew up with sort of crash and burn. Yep. Um, I myself was sort of like in that crash and burn phase. And it was the moment where I was like, what, what are we doing? Yeah. And, uh, I remember distinctly about a week after that bumping into some dude who introduced me to a guy who was an environmental science guy, because that's what I was doing Yeah. Uh, in Virginia. I was at school in Virginia. And there's a guy who lived right near me who would jog with his dog all the time. Okay. And then a friend of mine introduced me to this guy. And then it was sort of like, wait, you're the guy who runs with his dog past my house all the time. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, you live right. You know, so we, yeah. there was this guy who only lived five houses away from okay. me. This is in Lynchburg, Virginia. Okay. And, you know, he said, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Annapolis. And he, he's like, oh, really? That's where I grew up too. And uh, I was like, oh, that's funny. And started talking. He's like, yeah, my dad, you know, he was a Naval Academy guy. You know, he, we grew up there and he's a Christian. He's, you know, he started like a bookstore and I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. I think I know that bookstore, the Christian bookstore in Annapolis. And he's like, yeah, my dad started that. And I was like, oh, we've, we know everybody who works there. Like, yeah. we, like growing up, you know, that, that was one of the places you would get a job and I like, go, oh, cool. And he's like, Hey, you should meet my nephew. And I was like, all right, here's your nephew. And it's like, well, <laughs> You know, his, his dad, he's out here. His dad's a pastor out in Idaho. And I was like, oh, great. He's either going to be a pot smoker yeah. or the biggest goody two-shoe in the yeah. world, you know, yeah. pastor kid. Yeah. And, and so he had me over to his house and I hadn't met this guy, but there was this guy in the corner making fun of the guy who introduced me. So my friend, the guy who introduced me to this yeah. guy with the dog, yep. uh, um, was in the corner talking to this nephew. Got and it. the nephew was making fun of this guy. Uh, for like in a dumb movie. And after that conversation, this guy walks over to me and be like, what do you think of that dude? He's a jerk. And I was like, that was a dumb movie. <laughs> that was a stupid, you like dumb movie. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then afterwards, uh, this guy came over to me and he's like, hey, we're supposed to meet, you know, you know, my name's Nate Wilson. And from there, it was just sort of like a wake up moment. Yeah. So it was Gordon. So it was Gordon Wilson. Gordon and his dog. With his dog. And, and Nate was out at Liberty. Love and it. I think at that point, they were like, you should move to Idaho. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know about that. But I, I eventually did. <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I was an environmental science major and Gordon was. Uh, he was at George Mason. I was at Lynchburg College. And uh, Gordon was teaching at Liberty. And so they, you know, they were like, you come out. And I visited and I applied you know, to both Wazoo and U of I and U of okay. I, I got in and they yep. paid me. So I was like, oh, go do that. Wow. But I, so I didn't know what would happen. Sure. And I've been here for 20 years. So next thing you know, yeah, you're on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the story. <laughs> okay. Good. Now you work at MZ. I do. That's a very big growing company. I can tell just because out the window, the <laughs> building has gotten a lot bigger. We built a skyscraper. Yeah. In downtown. And <laughs> it doesn't look really bad. Which no, I think is like its own feet. It's a beautiful building. For a big building to go in a downtown area and it's nobody's like shielding their it's eyes. It's got real brick on it. Yeah. Yes. Can you tell tell me what MZ is and does? Yeah. MZ is a 20-year-old labor market analytics firm. And the point of the company is to use data, particularly data about the economy. So industries, occupations, demographics, skills, yep. um, all those types of things. We use that data, which comes from a lot of different places, to help 
really it's to help connect people, education, work. Okay. And so if you think about the way the economy functions, um, and, and C.R. Wiley has talked about this a lot. I think he, he has actually has a really good talk track on this topic where if you think about the way the economy used to function, um, you would have a home and then you would have some sort of work. And a lot of times the home and work were very layered, right? So if yeah. you ask a, an eight-year-old boy 150 years ago or 200 years ago, you know, how do, you know, what does your dad do? How does your family make money? The response nine times out of 10 would be like, well, we own a farm yeah, or we own a shop on main street. We, yeah, we do this like, because right. wh why? Well, the kids were usually very involved in work in the economy at a pretty young age. Right. And I don't think we want to necessarily go back to that, but the thing that we had then is you learned about work pretty young right? and you started to do it. And so you started to build your skills pretty young. And when we think about what post-secondary education was, it was really more about sort of becoming a better person. It was about sort of maintaining and growing a free society. So not everybody went to college, but the people who did were typically going into things like, you know, they were learning how to be a good politician or they, they weren't learning a trade necessarily, right. right? It was more about an upper echelon leader. Then so there's that leadership idea. Like, you know, think about like Teddy Roosevelt. Why did he go to Harvard? You know, it was, right. it was really to kind of become this ultimate Roosevelt and lead society. <laughs> but today what we've done is we've really separated the home life and the work life. So now, you know, kids don't really get familiar with work until their mid, late 20s. In some cases, and this is what we studied in this study we just did, in some cases, men aren't really getting involved with the economy until the 30s. And, or if at all. Yeah. And so you have a massive separation between home and work. And then we necessitate post-secondary education uh, for almost everybody. And, and it's sort of this idea, if you want to learn a trade, you really need to go through the post-secondary system. And what we found over the many years of looking at this is the disconnect between those three sectors is massive okay. and they don't talk to each other very well. So if you're an individual navigating from your home, let's say you live in you know, suburban Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, and you are wondering what to do, nine times out of 10, your dad and your mom can't really tell you what to do. Right. And you know, they're commuting off to work. You're not sure what they do. You are now going through high school and you're like, I guess I should go to college. Where should I go? And there's like a thousand options. Right. And so you pick one and then you show up and you're like, I'm not sure what to do. And so your, your, your formative years are sort of marching through time not really wondering what to do or how to approach it. And what we're, we think from a data point of view, from a labor market point of view, is we can help each one of those spheres of influence understand things better and ultimately talk to each other right. in a better way. That, so, so that's essentially just helping those three different spheres yeah. understand the other ones and mm -hmm. where they're at. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. And there's a lot of organizations. So the, the thing that makes it even more complicated is there's so many different organizations that are in those spheres. Right. Um, obviously, you've got the home, but then when you think about work, you have so many different types of businesses. Inside businesses, you have HR departments, you have the engineering department, you have the finance, you have marketing and sales. Uh, inside higher ed, you have, you know, in some cases, you'll have schools with 300 to 500 different programs that you could study. Right. Right. It's just a, it's a massive mess. And I, I'm not saying it's all bad. 
but it's hard for these things to communicate. That's really the problem. So you guys are very valuable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this is a, we work in all the sectors. We don't really, we don't really focus on the home as much. Right. But we focus on the sort of learning environments and the work environments and really the public sector, which is trying to be the kind of the e-harmony arbiter yep. of people and work trying to find each other. Yep. So you said, you know, your clients could be something like the University of Oklahoma mm -hmm. and Lowe's. Exactly. So yep. you guys are- And the all, city of Oklahoma or like and, the city of Oklahoma City or something right. like that. Yeah, Because right. they're, they're all trying to navigate. So for example, what would something like, what would um, the University of Oklahoma want to know from you guys? Yeah, the University of Oklahoma would want to know, are the programs we have, are the things we're teaching, is our curricular content relevant to the employers that are around okay. us? And would, if our students study those things, is that appealing to company X that might want to hire them? Right. Right. So the, you know, the university system's ultimate problem is, are we relevant and are we valuable in this day and age? Because that's the thing that people say about schools all the time. You know, you guys are just ivory tower, hoity-toity. Yep. You're teaching them how to like, uh, you know, underwater basket weave. That's yeah. not super relevant to right. us. Um, right. And it, so there's the, you know, there's this tension. There's the historic mission of a college, which generally has always been about to educate a free society. And then there's the tension that they have where companies and the labor market itself is like, hey, we want people who know how to like code a website yep. or sell a product right. or run our accounting software. So in terms of then like on the other half with Lowe's, like what do they want to know from you? Yeah. So a company's struggle is always going to be people, right? Yep. Uh, companies are in fierce competition for people. And what a company would do, like a Lowe's, let's say Lowe's wants to hire, you know, 300 new people uh, to build out the software that they need on their web, you know, in their website for their purchases or something like that. Right. Well, Lowe's tension would be software developers never think of Lowe's when they think about getting a job because they're thinking about Google or Facebook right. or something like that. Right. And so Lowe's posts a job, hey, we need a software developer. And, and it's crickets. Yep. Right. So Lowe's needs to, before they make that job posting, they need to figure out where would there be software developers that we could recruit? Who are they? What schools are they coming from? Could we recruit software developers from the University of Oklahoma? Right. Um, they have to answer all those questions and that's where our data comes in. Do you find, so is there ever a point of like who's in charge or is it all this like very interesting tension where they're all sort of mm -hmm. equal? Yeah, they're definitely all very equal. Um, and in some cases, what you have is you have a stronger, more dominant leader in okay. a specific setting, right? So sometimes you have a college that really gets it. Sometimes yep. you have a business that really gets it. Sometimes you have a city that really gets it. And they will lead the way in those conversations. Yep. But ultimately, it is, it's, it is a people problem because if a college doesn't have somebody who understands this type of stuff, if a business doesn't have yep. somebody understanding it or a city, these things will happen very haphazardly. And I think that's the thing we see about the market. Are people getting jobs? Yes. Are schools graduating students? Yes. Are businesses hiring people? Yes. But it's, it's often such a mess and it's, it's very ineffective yep. in so many ways. And so data really could help close some of those gaps down. It's like, the, you know, the classic examples, if you're studying English at a school right now, everybody, the, you know, the old Uncle Joe, Uncle Joe's like, why are you studying English? What are you going to do with that? And the student's like, I don't know. I've always just liked English. Right. And, and if, with our data, 
what we could do is tell that student, a faculty member might go to one of their students and say, well, with English, we're seeing a lot of our students go into marketing, public relations, sales, and, and a lot of other strategic communication roles. Right. Oh, that sounds interesting, right? So instead yep. of having so that, that person- So now those two are talking, yeah. that clarifies a lot. Yeah, instead of having that person bump around labor market for five years, trying to figure that out, we could just say, well, if you're studying English, one of the likely outcomes would be a strategic communications role. Yep. Oh, interesting. Yep. Yeah, I think I would like to do that. Here's an internship. You know, totally. Uh, this, Lowe's is really looking for somebody who's good at PR. Oh, maybe this is something I could do. So, Imzi, there's not necessarily a particular pain point they're coming to you for. They just need information, which means you guys kind of have to be broad. The, I mean, I think there is a particular pain point, and it's the connection between um, people and work is the right. pain point. But right. that happens in so many different directions. Right. It, but it's not something like the, the people and work, fairly broad. Yeah. It's not a necessarily like you're doing particular work. No. Yeah, you're it, answering like a broad set of questions. There's a, definitely a broad set of questions. So our data is built, you know, to be, it's really built. So if somebody has a question and, and the questions can be highly nuanced, how come we can't find more of this person for that thing? Right. Um, well, let's, let's look, go look at the data. Oh, well, there's only 25 people for the thing you're talking about in right. the place you're talking about it. Right. I had no idea. Right. So we should adjust our strategy. Now, as I mentioned, like Gimsey's definitely part of a big part of Moscow. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of, I got here in 2016 and a lot of my friends, either that I was at school with, ended up over there and I was uh, with Morgan and Nico, as I was telling you about, and they were like, we have a brand new report out that is super fascinating. And uh, I <laughs> think Morgan said death of the West kind of stuff, mm -hmm. which sounded a little hyperbolic. But as we talked more and more, it was very fascinating in how devastating it is, I suppose. Yeah. It's called Sandsdemic. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us sort of the premise? Yeah, yeah. So last November, a weird thing started to happen where, you know, we went through the pandemic. Yeah. We went through this time where, we, you know, we had this new parlance of non-essential and essential. Yeah. And we sidelined all kinds of people. And right. so we saw the quickest unemployment rate ever. So, you know, that climbed really high. We then expected to see what we've seen in the past, where you think about 2008, 2010, you have a lot of people who are struggling to find work. Yeah. And so the community colleges just get filled up. Um, everybody, you know, there's one job posting and a hundred people apply, yeah. that kind of thing. So we were like, okay, that we're, that's what's going to happen. And then by the time we hit, you know, summer and then September, October, November, we actually were seeing the opposite. So we were not seeing people struggle to go back to work. Okay. We were seeing companies struggling to get people to come back to work. Okay. So we started to explore that a little bit and it was a weird situation. We've never seen something like that economically before. And what we started to observe was first, furloughed people believe they just get their job back. Second, with so many kids just being at home, yep. parents who, if you had a dual income family, one of those parents was just like, well, I got to be at home. Right. There's still a lot of fear, even October, November. And then the final one was the government was essentially just flooding the economy with money. So you could make a same, and it's true today, you can make the same amount of money not working as you can working, um, and especially in a lot of yeah. entry level jobs. So 
So we threw government subsidy. Exactly. Yeah. So we saw, we started to talk about those four reasons. So this, we had a labor shortage in October, November, and we said, well, it's really caused by these four things. And you have to also know if you back up into January, February of the, that same year, January and February of 2020, we had the lowest unemployment rate essentially in history. Okay. Right. So the economy was essentially at full employment. You have to have some unemployment. You're always going to have some unemployment. So we essentially had reached full employment. And at that point, companies were just saying, we just can't get enough people. We can't get enough people. Um, we cannot fill all of our open positions. So then the, you know, the craziness hit, we went through the craziness and by the really the middle end part of the year, all the employers were back right in the, we can't find enough people. Yep. And so we thought we explained it that way for a few months, but then we were like, you know, there's something more to this because it, right when we started talking about those four reasons, new reports started to come out. We hit the lowest birth rate in the history of the United States late last year. So 600,000 fewer babies were born last year wow. than normal. And what that means, well, that, that was, again, that was the opposite of what people thought. So right. people thought, well, everybody's locked up at home. Yep. We're going to have a baby boom. Yep. The opposite happened. And if you think about the ramifications of 600,000 fewer people, that is, I mean, that's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of no people years, right? So right. the effect of just having not, like that person not being born right. is just, it's transformative. It's a radical thing yep. that happened. And so we, we started to look at- It's also a problem that doesn't seem like can be fixed no. quickly. And so we started, to, we started to go bigger in our exploration. and what sort of shocked us was um, we started to see new data points come out. So we saw the, all right, 600,000 fewer births. There was another data point that came out. Um, so Pew Research uh, did it and they found that typically about a million and a half or 2 million baby boomers leave the market each year. Okay. Well, last year, 3 million left the market. Okay. And they did it pretty quietly. And so if you, if you think about what a baby boomer is, it's that 1940, late 1946 to 1964, it's the 76 million people that were born in that era, Yep. Um, which is the largest, sort of the largest influx of population we've ever seen. And all the demographers back from between the, you know, the 40s and the 60s sort of projected out, oh, well, you know, this is just going to keep happening forever, right? And we got into that idea of overpopulation. That's where that idea yep. came from. They projected that line forward. But what they didn't look at was the fact that once the 70s hit, the baby boomers grew up in a home of four kids, usually. Yep. You know, so if you're a baby boomer, you tended to have three siblings. But what the baby boomers did is they both worked. So there's, you know, your spouse and you worked. Um, and that was a pretty unique situation. So we saw women enter the labor market in a way we've never seen it before. So we essentially doubled the size. Well, more, we more than doubled the size of the labor market because you had that population going through anyway. And then you had a ton of um, women just go into labor force. Yep. As a result of that, baby boomers only had 1.8 kids, right? Right. And so then- In contrast to their four. four. Yeah. So there's, right. we went from having four kids to less than two. Right. And that really started in the 70s. And that trend hasn't stopped 
So from 1971 till today, which is 50 years, our birth rate has been below two as a nation. Okay. Okay. So all of a sudden you have these 76 million people and a, a couple million each year leaving. And then last year, 3 million of them left. And many of them aren't even 65 yet. So okay. it's a 58 year old. Let's say you'd have, you have a 58 year old husband who works as an engineering manager at some aerospace company outside of DC and his, you know, 58 year old wife who works as a, um, a senior legal counsel at a, in, you know, a nonprofit in DC. And he's making, you know, $400,000 and she's making $500,000. And they both are just like, we've been on Zoom calls. We are kind of done with this. We have enough money in the bank. The average baby boomer has um, well over a million dollars in the bank. Um, let's retire. And so they both leave yeah. quietly, right? Yep. And all of a sudden that company loses a senior manager and that nonprofit loses a, their senior counsel and they leave. And now, and now all of a sudden the market turns around to their son because yeah. they only have one yeah. who studied at Georgetown yep. and he is into the arts and he doesn't care because his parents just worked, 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 worked. That, that's their whole life. They worked. They only had one kid. And they kind of had, like, he's set. Mom, dad, take care of me. Um, Yeah, I I had an apartment for a while, but I moved back home with them. And now we're going to move to Florida. Yep. And we're all going to retire together. So their son, at best, he's working part-time. And it's only what makes him feel good. You know, he's he's working to feel a certain way. Yep. So we enter in this kind of this Bertie Wooster problem. where the baby boomers establish the economy, set the economy, were the workforce as they move out, there's not enough people replacing them for 50 years. And then the attitude of that generation is very different than their attitude where they were climbers. They were, they were, they wanted to get that paycheck. This generation doesn't seem to want that paycheck in the same way, or at least it doesn't motivate them. And there's a lot less. So, so hence the pandemic, which means without people. So, and one thing, COVID, a lot of people are right now are just looking at COVID. Yeah. Where this is a COVID issue. Mm-hmm. But this started, I it's mean. It's been t- happening for a long time. Long time. Yeah. Like 70s. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And it's, I think this is, we've become a society that is so driven by what we'd look at, if we look at a timeline. Yep. Right. A recession is a blip. A pandemic is a blip. Even if we go back to 1917, everybody today is asking that question. How has the pandemic changed us for the rest of history? Like, how has this changed work forever? And it's like, well, if you actually go back to the, you know, you know 1917, that was hor- like horrific. Yeah. Um, far more hor- horrific than this. Right. Um, and society went back to normal after three years. You know, right. people were going back to Yankees games. People were riding, you know, public transit again. And so we're sitting here saying, how has this thing that's ultimately a blip changed the world forever? Right. And what we've failed to realize is there's this other fog that's crept in that is actually changing. Well, it's not changing the world forever, but it's definitely changing everything for us for the rest of our lives. Yep. And we're not talking about that. I don't think COVID-19 is going to change things for the rest of our lives, but I think this is. Right. So you mentioned boomers, at least in the last year, 
have left at an unprecedented rate. Yeah. You kind of attributed that to sort of economic success. I mean, they, they yeah. can. Yeah. Is yeah. that, do you see that as ultimately, I mean, is it as simple as they can? Is, do, you, do you find any, was COVID sort of just like the final, like, we don't have to deal with this anymore, like yeah. Zoom calls and everything else? I think so. I, I mean, I think, you know, this was the wealthiest generation in the history of the planet accumulating some 68 trillion dollars and you know i mean we that's actually something we should say thank you about i I think as a society we're we're very fussy you know know, there's the uh hey boomer kind of yeah mantra it's like you know the boomers work like crazy everything you see uh, the entire economy has been fundamentally shaped by that 76 million people going through all the you know think about what post-secondary education is think about all the companies that we've seen happen um, the incredible wealth and success we have in our society is because of that pe- group of people moving through, and and they've just amassed mass mass amount of wealth. I think the thing that they, they didn't think about was they thought about work, but they didn't think about their home, right? And now I think we are in a position where we are we have the wealth, but now we don't have the people to carry on the market we've created. Any kind of generational thinking. Yeah. Any kind of. Yeah. No. And, and what we see today is um, we can't, when your birth rate, so 2.1 is a very important number to know. The boomers essentially lived well below 2.1 in terms of replacing themselves. So 2.1 is the number of children that, that um, you have to have per, really per lady, right? So per female, you need to have 2.1 children born to maintain your population size. Yep. And once you go below that number, your population goes into decline and the ramifications of a population decline usually are an economic decline. Right. Right. Because economies essentially are people. And if you don't have people, you don't have the economy or at least the same way that you had it before. Yeah. We, so talking about this, there was a, um, one thing there's much to be grateful or, I mm-hmm. mean, like two-day shipping seems like yep. a direct result of exactly. the boomers. Um, but one way that we talked about it was essentially there seems to be, because of that kind of largesse and the l- sort of luxury that came with that working, there was a little bit like what was lost was a little bit of like the natural law mm-hmm. horse sense kind of things, which are things that I think, so we're at Camp Press, and I think we differentiate ourselves from the market in a lot of ways because there's like just horse sense christian parenting advice yeah yeah and that's that's that comes as like a real wave of refreshment mm-hmm. from a world that there just was never that there's a sort of like disconnect between right. like the way the world works and then working within the grain i think is sort of how i would describe how we differentiate ourselves um and that kind of starts to spark up a little bit everywhere so whether it's you know we did this dual income thing for for many years but we're gonna have one kid who doesn't at all and mm-hmm. he's really into georgetown basketball yeah and he moves back home mm-hmm. and there's a sort of like disconnect of like oh if we do that then this you know and it, even in like uh intellectual trends like natural law really went weird mm-hmm. in the last like mm-hmm. few decades mm-hmm. do you what do you see as like implications of this yeah is it that you know this just the wheels come off of this mm-hmm. what, what are the big grim implications of of the sandstemic yeah oh i mean the first is the mentality. I think there has to be a mentality shift. You know, the the easiest thing to do is look at places like Europe and Japan. Yeah. Right. What what's happened there? There you have 
the ruling class, yeah, desperate to try to convince people to have kids, and they can't do it. Okay, and that's a funny like. Imagine American president getting up and being like, "This week, national week off. Everybody go home, yeah, and get pregnant, yeah, right." That seems utterly ridiculous, but that's exactly what places like um, this has happened in Scandinavia. This has happened in Russia. This is, I mean, Japan. At some point, your national leadership wakes up and goes, "We cannot maintain our society yep. if we just if we don't have enough people." Now, America has had a tremendous benefit in this because we've had a very positive birth rate for many years, and people from all over the world have wanted to move here. Interesting, right? But if we look at what's happening, it's not just happening here; it's happening in Mexico. It's happening in South America. It's happening in Europe. It's happening in China. It's happening in India. If you look at the three countries that send their people here, places like China, India, Mexico, yep, they're all below too. Those countries. Those countries. Not, but what about the people coming in? Is yeah. there? Yeah, their birth rates. Got it. So the world's birth rates, yes, are crashing. And so what this means is. You know, you like that Amazon package in two days, that's not going to happen. You like being able to go to a hospital and having, you know, five people wait on you, that's not going to happen. You like um, being able to just pull up and, you know, buy that cup of coffee for 250 that price is about to go up. The availability of labor, the availability of people who are willing to work and do things is what maintains and grows our society. And all the conveniences that you've gotten used to are really dependent on that Amazon package. Do you know how many people touch that thing? Do you, it's, it's insane. Hundreds of yeah, people. Right. And if in, inside that supply chain, if all of a sudden 25 of them are missing, the price is going to go up, yep. the time's going to go down, and you're not going to be able to live where you've been before. So we, we have to, I think that the implication here is we've become a grumbly, unthankful people. We've taken it for granted, and now we're, we're actually about to experience a, ma a, a pretty dramatic shift. And there's not, there's not an easy way to fix this problem. Because now it's just not like- Not quickly, right? Know, well, go, yeah, everybody go have a bunch of kids. You're right. That would have been good in 1975. Oof. But, yeah. you know, we're 50 years after that. Yeah, this is essentially like a uh, whiskey cask gone awry. Right. It's not something you could- That's a good- Fix tomorrow. Yeah, that's a very good it, it, It's something you have to yeah. put years and time into. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting with that sort of like distance from cause and effect almost is mm -hmm. like the simplest way. Uh, who would have thought that like, yeah, of course, like this is what would happen, right? Where it's like, oh, all of those things are going to catch up. It's almost like, you know, literature happens. Yep. You know, the pride, pride does go before the yeah. fall. Yep. Like there is the ways that the world works. And due to essentially, again, a lot of good things came out of that luxury and mm -hmm. largesse. Unfortunately, the common sense didn't follow it. Yeah, we moved the cost. So we, we loaded all the benefits up on the front end, right? So both of us are going to work real hard and we're going to make a ton of money. But I got into a little conversation with somebody about this recently where, you know, somebody re replied to this and said, oh, it's because um, nobody's having kids because it's too expensive. Okay, let's, let's talk about that. So you forego having kids. Now, they said this in the midst of me also saying it's the wealthiest group of people yep. in the history of the world 
And it's because they can't make enough money. Um, so, okay, fine. Let's, let's assume that. So you decide not to have a kid in your 20s. What's your life like when you hit 70 or 80? Yes, you made a bunch of money. And now where's all your money going to go? Yep. You're going to have to pay someone yep. to take care of you when you're 80. So yeah, you, yeah you, you made more money when you were 25, but now you're spending more money when you're 80. Yep. Whereas if you had five kids or four kids, that tends to be, you, maybe you don't have as much money when you're 80, but then you have your grandkids and your kids. Yeah. And, and even what you were saying about the Amazon package totally goes against the sort of way somebody might see the world economically in that like uh, sub, sum zero yeah. way where you said hundreds of people touch your two-day package mm -hmm. and it makes it cheaper. Yeah. You know, I, I would imagine like my first thought is like, well, actually there's going to be less people mm -hmm. should be cheaper. Yeah. Less people to pay, but that's not the way nope. labor markets work. Nope. No, it's, it, it makes it more expensive because the thing that you're going to immediately see here is, and you're actually already seeing it, is it's now so much harder for that logistics company to get its work done yep. because they're spending so much more time trying to find labor. And their only response in many cases is they just have to pay more. I mean, even if you look at trucking right now, I, companies like Amazon and Walmart have just, they've given up um, with the fleets. They're, they've built their own fleet. Okay. And what they've done is they've said, all right, now, we want to have the best fleet. What are we going to do? We're going to pay significantly more money. I mean, in some cases, they're starting 80 and 100,000. They're going to pay significantly more money. What's that going to do? Well, they're, they're going to gut an already thin market and pull all those drivers over to themselves. Yep. So that guts. Uh, right. It, that, that, so it, it doesn't, somebody's got to pay for that. So now, in terms of like that example, do you see, like how do small businesses versus sort of like big tech, yeah. mm -hmm. what is that conversation like given this? Yeah. It's really hard for small businesses, right? Way more expensive. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. A lot more expensive. It's very hard to do business. And you know, the past year has really benefited these massive corporations that, you know, if, if they're like, well, fine, we'll pay 80 or we'll pay a hundred K yep. starting because that's just where the market's gone. Yep. Well, there's a lot of people who can't do that. Right. So we, we, you know, we do, we get fussy about, you know, the pay side of this, um, but we also have to realize that the pay is just merely where the market is, you know, and what we're going to now see, if you are fussy about pay, well, guess what? It's about to go up. But right. the problem with that is it's just because there's just not the same numbers of people who can do the work. So it just moves the problem. It doesn't fix it. Oh, so yeah, the money just moves over to a yeah. new place. Yeah. And it, it will make it harder for certain businesses to, to survive. So we can't fix the problem like we've been mentioning. Like yeah. It's not something everybody can go home. Even if Joe Biden gave everybody the week off, yep. it couldn't be fixed in our, you know, yeah. close to your lifetime. Well, and I don't think people, even if, if we, that, yeah. yeah, I don't think people want to. Would want to anyway. Yeah, I think our values have changed so much. We still, if you watch TV, if you look at popular, you know, conversation, children are generally viewed more as a curse and... I think, you know, from a society point of view, we still very much orient to that idea of you're not a valuable person unless you're, you know, some sort of high earner. And what we, we need to get back to is this mentality of like, you know, actually the production of people and the production and preparation and protection of people should be a valuable and highly valued aspect of society. 
and we we don't seem to orient that way. Right? Yeah, it, it's interesting too because it's almost like I would assume here Charles Darwin's on our team. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We are about to not be the fittest. Right. So in terms of uh, now, I'll put the link to the study. Mm-hmm. You guys have like an ebook yeah. essentially out. What do you tell people? I mean, so you've you've essentially. You guys are in a neat spot where you're just looking at data mm-hmm. and just sort of like zoinks. Like yeah. this is this is not good. Will this essentially change ways you offer advice to people? Yeah. Or you know, how how will this information sort of change how you talk about stuff? My big message right now is every person you hire, every person you enroll in school, ultimately every person born is so much more valuable than you could ever imagine. Especially now. Especially now. And I think the positive message here is if you are a young person, if you are somebody who's really desiring to do well in life, um, if you're like, wait, but I really do want to work. I want to do things. Well, society values you and will value you more and more. So it's funny that we still have a lot of anxiety in life, um, you know, amongst young people. Like, I, I'm a loser. I, there's not much I can do. I don't know if I'll ever do well. We need to sort of eradicate that notion, right? Yep. If you have a young person, if you are a young person, um, if you work with young people, the message to them needs to be, oh no, you are so much more valuable. And at every step of the way, um, whether you're in you know, K through 12, in college, and just entering the market, you have so much value if you're willing to work, if you're willing to be a part of society, if you're willing to you know, put your back into it. Because there's just so many problems to solve. And I think that's the thing we're seeing. And again, it's, it's like a, a snake that swallowed a you know, rhinoceros, right? Yep. And you know, it's just that that lump is passing through society. And what's going to come on the other end is far smaller and hungry. And that's a massive opportunity for young people today. Yep. But let me tell young people, value your family a lot more, right? Don't just value your work value the idea that you know i'm gonna get married i'm gonna have kids i'm gonna do all of that um we need to get back to that place we have to change the way we think so right now value people more and have more people and it's not that any of that was different yeah 40 years ago it's just now it's like big time code red yeah Uh, the places that will i'd say 50 years from now the places that will be prosperous productive good places will be the places today that actually still, where you see a lot of kids. Value that. Right? If you look at, uh, there's like, honestly, if you're an economist right now, you're saying Africa is going to be a very strong economy in 50 or 100 years. Why? Because they're still having people. Um, There's places in the United States. So oddly enough, one of the things we found, uh, the Pacific Northwest Mm -hmm. is still having people. The Southwest is places like in Arizona. Yep. And oddly enough, Florida. Florida is having okay. a lot of people. And so you can see these pockets and places yeah. where you're, it's like that, that's like finding oil, right? That's like, that's a gold mine. Why? Because they're people positive. Yep. They're producing people. If, so if you have a business, if you have anything you want to accomplish, those are the places that will accomplish them because there's people. So crazy to hear, especially in light of like, it's not as much of a topic anymore. Um, and I doubt it will continue to be, but that overpopulation myth that right. you talked about early on as they projected out boomer rates mm-hmm. and just hearing how they talked about people 
or yeah. how they talked about kids, like you were saying earlier. Too many of them. Too many. Like we're gonna starve. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that it's that sum zero. It's like really the reverse. Yep. The more people, the more work, the cheaper things get, et cetera. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the, the world is about them. Is, is about people, and uh, the economy is about people. Now, you can disagree with this, right? You can hear this and say, "No, I still think there's too many," and it's fine. Okay. Yeah. Well, do you like your Amazon package in two yeah. days? Yeah. Do you like your cup of coffee for two fifty? Do you like being able to go to the hospital and have like ten people there to help you? Right. That's the trade off. Totally. Totally. And it's uh, it's like the real world is about to catch up with sort of the philosophies and beliefs that people have had in a time of largesse. You're about to really see mm-hmm. those come to roost. Yep. It's going to change. That's wild. Yep. Awesome. Rob, thanks so much yeah. for coming in, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate me. you.